netcasting from Chicago, Los Angeles, and Sydney. You're listening to this week's FX Podcast from FXGuide.com. Thanks for joining us for this FX podcast. In today's podcast, Mike Seymour is going to speak with Joe Letary from Weta about their outstanding work on Fast and Furious 7, and in particular, the digital human work they did to compensate for the loss of Paul Walker, tragically, before the film was finished. This has been a subject that we've wanted to cover in, in quite a bit of detail, and obviously it's been a sensitive subject, and... Um, there's just a lot more shots than you would expect. 350, I think he said in the interview, somewhere in that range. So, and, and, and an amazing amount, as you'll hear, of respect for getting the performance as faithful and, and accurate and right as possible as respect to the actor, as I said, who tragically lost his life before the, before the movie was completed. A very sensitive thing and handled beautifully by the, the Weta team. So we're excited to bring you that. I've mentioned previously when we've done podcasts if you've listened to them before that we do other podcasts and you should check out all the podcasts that we do both audio and video over at fxguide.com slash podcasts and also check out what we're doing over at fxphd.com we just launched a new kind of on-demand system over there where you can download um, individual courses from previous terms so check that out as well so let's jump in now with Mike Seymour speaking with Joe Letary about the digital double work for Paul Walker in Fast and Furious. Um, thanks so much for taking time to talk to us. We really appreciate it. Sure, absolutely. Uh, I've been wanting to talk to you, obviously, since I first knew that you'd be tackling the sensitive issue of uh, dealing with uh, Paul Walker. Um, mm-hmm. And obviously everyone was shocked uh, in November 2013 when he passed away. But how soon after that did Weta get involved? How, uh, I don't think you were involved prior to that, were you? No, we, we weren't. Um, what happened was we were working with uh, Jennifer Bell from Universal, who's the you know, I think her title is Vice President of Visual Effects. Jennifer was working with us on a, uh, a test for a different film that involves some digital double work. So she was aware of what we were you know, um, able to do and the kinds of research areas that we were moving into. And it was several, you know, months after, um, uh, you, you know, the event after Paul's death that um, Jennifer contacted us and said, well, we thought about the film, you know, everyone has agreed they want to carry on, they want to make it, they want to finish it, and we're looking for a way to kind of, uh, you know, bring bring um, the Paul's character story to a close. And she said, can you come and talk to us about it? So. So I did. I met with uh, you know her and Neil Moritz and James and you know the the team there, and we talked about what could be done. And it still seemed a pretty big ask, you know, to really be that that faithful to um, to to help complete that performance. So initially we said, you know, look, we know you're going to need some dialogue, but it's probably only going to be no more than a handful of shots that we'd be able to do. Um, but yes, you know, we we can create the the. Uh, a, a digital, you know, recreation of Paul that we can get through some of the story beats. A lot of the rest of it would be looking for, you know, existing footage that might be able to be repurposed or, or reused. So that was the the way we started. But as they uh, really started putting the story together, it just kind of, you know, became apparent that you needed more 
to to complete the story. That like there there was just a lot more to be to be told to really finish it off in, in an appropriate way. And we were also then working on the R and D, and it, it it was starting to look promising. It looked like we might be able to do more than we initially thought. So that that kind of combination of you know what what the film required and what we were starting to uh, being able to realize that uh, led the filmmakers to to really be able to to tell the story in in the best way that they thought they needed to. I mean, you know me well enough that I can ask this question. Was there any moment that you paused to say to yourself, gosh, you know, I'm operating here without a safety net? Because this film was always going to have a lot of attention for this very reason. It wasn't as if, you know, you could sort of get away with anything less than a good performance. And quite Mm -hmm. frankly, it was a huge ask. Mm Mm-hmm. Um... No, you tend to not think like that. I, I guess because we're just used to operating without a safety net. It's you know every time we look at something like this, it is something new that we're that we're trying to do. So from from that part of it, it was it was actually more about you know how appropriate it was it was for us to. Um, um, I'm not sure the best way to say it, but you know like. It, it was that sense of we needed to get this right, uh, and and it was more just that like can we really understand and honor it and carry this on in in a way that you know would be appropriate for uh, you know the fans and and his family and and everyone who was going to see this to you know to understand that this was meant in a way as a tribute to 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 uh, you know help help tell the story. As we're going to get to in a second, you um, involved his brothers, uh, and I was wondering, mm-hmm. did that factor in your thinking that it would be a sort of a key thing that you needed going into it, or was that something that developed later? No, that that was absolutely key. We none of us, the filmmakers, you know, none of us would have proceeded if the family didn't think this was a good idea, and um, the you know, so once they they all said you know uh, yes, we you know that they'd like to see um, the 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 story completed, um, knowing that the that we'd be able to um, get the brothers involved as well because of their resemblance to Paul was hugely helpful. So there were actually three actors that were involved. There were the, uh, Paul's two brothers, Caleb and Cody, and there was an actor named John Brotherton who was um, brought on because the two brothers had no experience acting. So even though they had you know resemblances to Paul, um, they brought in John Brotherton to actually, you know, perform the role and act the role, um, and because he's got a resemblance to Paul as well. And I think just during the course of the production, he he worked with the brothers and got them a little more confident in performing in front of the camera. So gradually, um, more and more of it was was done with the the brothers directly. But we needed uh, um, all three of them to be able to achieve that, and especially uh, the Caleb and Cody, it was their scans that gave us the, the closest technical reference that we had to Paul, because there, we didn't have the kind of detailed information you would usually want when you're trying to create a, a digital character. There was an old scan that had been done for, you know, essentially the far away digital double work, but nothing to the level of accuracy that we that we needed. So, from a technical level, we were able to start with uh, Caleb and Cody's scans and look at a lot of reference footage of Paul and just try to reconstruct all of his um, features from really by hand, uh, just getting as close as we could. So before we get into the actual digital CG 
head, as it were. <clears throat> One of the options, obviously, as you sort of alluded to, was using some old footage, um, which could be like cutting him in for a reaction shot, but it could also be lifting a face from old footage and then putting it into new footage. Um, did that actually eventuate? And if so, what were the challenges in sort of getting the lighting right to make that work? We, we did do that in some cases. And um, what worked for us very well is it, to be able to combine that with our digital um, version of Paul, excuse me, because that allowed us to relight it. So if we had a scene of, of Paul um, that was nice for the performance and could be used in the story, but was in a different lighting situation, we would use our digital double to uh, do, do relight the digital double for the new situation, match the animation, match the performance, and then uh, transfer the lighting. Uh, just use it as, as a, a, a basically a difference to transfer the lighting to the existing performance and blend the two together. So that really um, you know uh, allowed us to use whatever we could because you know obviously if we had a performance of Paul that worked directly, that was the best way to go because it was him. That's really what we were trying to achieve. So that really helped us, you know, um, integrate uh, a lot of the footage that we did have. The other way that we used existing footage of Paul is for the performance itself because, um, you know, we found that working with uh, Caleb and Cody or John Brotherton, you know, as, as close as they all could bring their, their performances to Paul, it wasn't Paul. And so what we would do for moments where we needed to animate Paul's face and get his performances, we looked for similar performances, uh, you know, from, from the other films. And our animators matched those so that that became Paul's performance and we just transferred from somewhere else into, into the new performance. So that, that was done in situations where we needed the performance, but the, where the photography had been done, uh, you know, in, in the, older footage was not going to transfer at all, but we needed we needed him to perform the same way. So we tried to keep us as true to Paul as we could in whatever way we could. Hmm. That's really interesting, isn't it? That, the idea that he's made decisions about how he might look or react and that you get to mm-hmm. access those actor, actor decisions, albeit mm-hmm. through the new digital model. Um, yeah. When you're doing the, the transferring of lighting, um, just to be clear, was that a 2D, like you're transferring the lighting sort of uh, process, or you're more like projecting geometry 3D solution? We were, we were projecting, well, it was a 2D, 3D. So we, we matched the animation with our digital model. We lit the digital model so that we had the two in exactly the same place. And then the compositors were able to just blend the lighting uh, you know, from the digital model onto the existing footage. Right. One of the yep. questions I had on, on the other side of the coin then, when we moved to mm-hmm. moving to a, uh, the sort of the idea of placing um, uh, a digital face into a scene, is mm-hmm. are we talking about a digital face as in I'm going to call like a hockey mask or are we talking about a whole <laughs> head? Because it seems to me that we, we often talk about faces, mm-hmm. but we obviously as humans have an ability to read profiles. And I, it seemed mm-hmm. to me that... One of the things people often get wrong, not you, but other people have gotten wrong, is putting a face on the wrong head. Mm-hmm. No, th- this was a fully digital head, and you're, you're exactly right. You couldn't just transfer the face because, again, even if we started with one of the brothers as the basis for the performance, there was still enough difference that it didn't look like Paul. So um, we generally kept the body performances and, and uh, put in, uh, uh, you know, added in uh, the head and neck. 
and and those would have been completely digital. And so, so we've got uh, him doing a bunch of stuff. So, would it be fair to say that there are a whole bunch of things that are kind of action these sequences, and then of course there are these mm-hmm. acting emotional moments, some of which I think are, are very quiet and very uh, mm-hmm. nuanced. If I can just yeah. talk about the action ones for a second. Presumably Mm -hmm. your team's experience in flesh sims is key here because it isn't just a matter of getting that face right. It's getting it to actually have the dynamics of that face while jumping out of a moving car kind of thing. Yeah, that's exactly right. It's, um, you know, any, any scene that Paul was in, any shot, any frame, really had to be accurate to um, how physically it would have, looked if we if he had been able to perform it himself and so those kinds of details you know carried through whether it was um, you know the dynamics on the skin in, in an action bit or the dynamics on the skin from from just giving a dialogue line uh, you know the, those nuances are still important no matter how big or how small the action is so did everything have a flesh sim on top of whatever the animators did is that what i'm hearing not not everything did, but if it needed it, we would right. run that. But by and large, um, we didn't need it for, you know, I'd say the majority of shots uh, did not need it, but there was a significant amount that we were able to get some, you know, extra detail out of it by running a sim on top. So uh, so we've got him jumping out of a car or doing stuff, and, and obviously mm-hmm. that's some pretty complicated tracking. But if I can move mm-hmm. from, and not taking anything away from that, to those... I think sort of even more difficult shots when he's just on screen and we're just obviously needing to look at him because he's delivering a performance. That, mm-hmm. that sounded like those amount of shots kind of grew, that your team got more confident and you got more confident with what you could pull off? They, they did, exactly. As I said, it was, it was going to start off with just being a handful of them, but uh, you know, eventually just recognizing the necessity of, of what the story was going to require and what we were able to um, what we were starting to see as the character was being developed, we became more confident that we could we could get more of those close-up shots and more dialogue shots working. So in a sort of scene like that where you've got two actors interacting, did you mm-hmm. have dots on the face of whoever was playing the role uh, of Brian in the film, or was it trying to be as natural as possible? No, we we did have dots on the uh, faces of, of whichever you know actor it it was. But what we realized, I was alluding to this earlier, is uh, you could you could do a lot with the body performance, but you couldn't transfer the face performance. So you couldn't take, for example, um, Caleb's performance and transfer it to Paul's character. It didn't look like Paul. So that's why we started going back through all of Paul's old performances and finding ones that were appropriate and using those and, and bringing those to the character. So on a philosophical level, I mean, how much can you deviate the head movement from what the stand-in actor chooses to do with their head on the day? Because even though obviously they're in one sense completely separate, the shoulders Mm -hmm. obviously connected to the neck and and the physics of just how you slouch and how your spine works must connect the two to an extent. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. It's really hard to separate, you know, head movement from facial movement from body movement. They all have to work together. So what we did is if we knew we were going to be relying on a a previous performance of Paul's, uh, you know, we looked at those early on so that when everyone was performing the scene, they understood what it was we were after and, and what, you know, what Paul had done. So everyone tried to, as accurately as possible, uh, you know, 
bring their their part of it to that. So we we definitely relied on the actors being able to uh, um, help us with that to to get the performance correct. Right. So if I understand you correctly, let's say we found a shot of Paul in some previous film, mm-hmm. and he was facing mm-hmm. someone, and his I don't know left shoulder was down, and his right one was up in mm-hmm. a kind of relaxed mm-hmm. way. You'd ask the mm-hmm. actor on set to have that pose, even though you didn't intend to use that actor's face. Exactly. Exactly. We didn't. Um you obviously you're going through this uh, in in performance, so we didn't we didn't really like try to match beat by beat because of a certain rhythm that you want. But that was generally the idea that you wanted to to get the performance um, to fit so that we could put marry the two together. Right. And mm-hmm. then did his hair length, which is relatively short, work in your favor mm-hmm. or against you? I mean, it uh, it seemed mm-hmm. to be sort of clear and easy. Um, but... it, it, well. It, you know, I guess the, the real answer is it just worked. You know, it was it was his hair, so we just needed to to match it. Um, and we realized, in, in looking through, you know, a lot of the footage and you know even what had been already shot for um, for the seventh film, that his hair length would change anyway because you know obviously it grows and gets cut, and you know it, it was it, there was a little bit of variation even within what we were working with. But we did find what was most distinctive that we needed to match very carefully was his beard because that actually uh, uh, shows a lot of the character of his face. And so we hmm. spent a lot of time you know, really matching uh, the placement of all the hairs on the beard to, um, so that everything just looked like Paul. Do you think there was anything that was significantly sort of really the thing that made it work? Because for me, as an outsider just looking in, you nailed the mm-hmm. eyes, and I'm so sensitive to that being wrong. But was there anything mm-hmm. that you felt like, well, when I got this working, I felt like we'd really, you know, were cracking it? It all came together, you know, uh, in, in a way more or less simultaneously. I mean, it was getting the skin detail, getting the eye detail, starting to see movement on the face, uh, starting to get the hair reacting to, um, uh, you know, the way the skin was, was moving. It, it was all happening in parallel, so as it started to, to come together, we were having moments where we could see that the progress was, was um, you know, really starting to, to get there. Um, and obviously, when you start seeing subtle performances, you start seeing dialogue, and that works for the first time. That's the, you know, the, the point at which you know that you can carry on now, and there's, you, you know, you, there's more that you can do. So if he's delivering dialogue, whose voice am I hearing? Paul's. The editors uh, had to uh, basically reconstruct his performance from uh, a lot of uh, you know existing footage going back through all the films. Right. So yeah, which was obviously a tremendous part of the the whole performance as well. They needed to know that they could you know the lines had to be written so that we uh, so that the editors could find the dialogue to put everything together. <laughs> And and we had to be able to you know uh, animate to to that as well. So it was a very collaborative effort. So is this rendered in Manuka? It was rendered in Manuka, yes. So can I ask you a question? The the Manuka has a spectral rendering uh, at its core, which I think is terrific. What is it that you're seeing in a Paul Walker that you're getting out of spectral rendering that you wouldn't be if if Manuka wasn't a spectral renderer? In this case, I'm not sure that you'd be seeing a lot of what the spectral rendering brings because uh, our inputs are still mostly RGB. 
Um, right now, spectral rendering is more apparent if you're doing, you know, measured materials or caustics where you get dispersion effects. So it, it's it's really more, you know, laying the foundation for the future that once we can start using more measured materials and and get into uh, uh, you know, actually shaders that will deal with full spectra rather than just RGB information that I, um, you know, I think we'll start seeing more interesting results. Yeah, I was wondering if it was to do with subsurface because obviously that's a wavelength dependent thing. But you're, I guess if your samples are RGB, then it's sort of a, a moot point. Exactly. And subsurface is where we do expect to see a big, uh, you know, increase. But right now, a lot of the, uh, even the literature, a lot of the research and the profiling is just done at, at RGB samples. So we, we, uh, there's just still some work to be done there. Um, if I could change tack for a second, just talk about things creatively. Let's say I've got two mm -hmm. actors in a car. Um, it's mm -hmm. pretty unlikely that the DP on a completely live action film is just going to mm -hmm. light them uh, without any lighting. So, mm -hmm. because obviously they'd face would be dark and the outside would be super bright. But when you're mm -hmm. doing this kind of work, um, is there a sort of a difficulty in finding that balance between, I'm going to call, the, the Hollywood lighting that you want so you can see any actor's face and mm -hmm. then having unrealistic lighting on your CG face because obviously in a perfect world you'd have some kind of HDR and you just completely match into a, a live action plate, although that mm -hmm. would give you something that the, the audience wouldn't enjoy. Um, no, I mean, by and large, we were matching into the, the live-action plate, you know, as much as possible. And then the, the kind of grading that you do on top of that, we try to keep in the realm of the same grading that you would be doing if you were, um, you know, matching the, the um, sorry, if you were grading the live-action photography. I mean, you have to account for a few subtle differences, like in skin tone and things like that, that the DP might be lighting for that, you know, uh, our, our version of Paul, the digital double, might be a little bit different. So there's, you know, there's a little bit of balancing that has to happen. But by and large, we try to fit into the lighting, you know, as closely as possible to keep it realistic. Right. What was the, um, the sort of the, what were you getting in terms of the technical stuff coming? It was like shot on Alexa, wasn't it? It was ex exactly, and we had a multi-camera rig to try to uh, uh, get the actors to just redo facial performances in front of a multi-camera rig. So we had a lot of you know good reference uh, surrounding the takes. So there was there was uh, quite a lot going into it to to really make this happen. But it was great because given the the nature of the project and the circumstances, everyone was behind it. You know, the the crew, the director, the production, everyone knew that that we really needed to to get this right and then for the actual um performance mm -hmm. of the face was there any point in i probably was of having super like uh scans of each of the brothers i mean what was it that you could lift from those technically uh to help you we did we used uh light stage scans and right. um those you know those helped us get poor detail skin texture detail skin color uh, uh, you know, because they they both do resemble Paul, obviously being his brothers, but then we just had to look at a lot of film footage from from the earlier, uh, well, you know, that had already been shot on on Furious Seven or some of the earlier ones, and and just hand paint in some of the characteristics that were specific to Paul. I'm interested that you mentioned there the skin pores, because I know the light stage ICT guys have done a lot of really interesting work with high-resolution sort of micro-level stuff. Were you doing that mm -hmm. in terms of stretched skin and, and pore stuff at a sort of a 16K res that they've been publishing about? 
Well, we don't quite do the 16K res thing because we use a, a different texture space than they do, but it's, yeah, it's roughly equivalent. We were doing things similar in, in the uh, stretching and you know, also looking at blood flow in the skin during performance, uh, you know, all that sort of thing. Uh, we weren't doing the, the microgeometry enhancement that they were doing. We, we just, at this point, we just went in and just hand-painted all that just because we wanted to be so careful about it. Just while we're talking about blood flow, um, I've been looking at that, and there seems to be a couple of different aspects of blood flow. There's obviously the hemoglobin redistribution from any kind of movement of the flesh, but there's also mm. pressure blood flow. I think in some of the shots, um, the mm. on-screen Brian has his hand on his face, and if he moves away, mm. obviously there's a, a blood thing there. Are you modeling mm. and tracking all of that? Are you estimating that? How's it getting to be on the screen? We're, we're estimating that there's a there's a basic blood flow that's done just from the tension in the face, as you point out, that comes just from the natural movement of the face, and then anything else that that would require you know contact or gravity or pressure, we are essentially calling that out and animating it and and um, you know using different cues, whether it's like proximity or just actually going in and painting maps or it, it, different devices you know that we could use to 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 uh, uh, direct the blood flow and on the same kind of level as blood flow on a completely separate weather project which i was uh, i think smog mm. i was interested about um the airflow from breathing causing you know simulation stuff on the lips um i mm -hmm. presume that the same thing kind of applies i mean he's doing some actiony stuff here he's going to be breathing pretty hard that's going to mm -hmm. affect his whole mouth it, it 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 does, but typically we still animate that because it's hard to get the dynamics of the breathing just right. So we'll put in controls for the animators to get it if it's that specific. We tend to use the uh, the dynamics for more secondary effects, um, uh, you know, from action scenes and and things like that. So <clears throat> this is now you know sort of some of the most famous digital work is it fair to say that what you're doing here is an extension and a connection to the digital double work that the rest of the studio has done or is there in some respects this kind of special work that that is stands apart from that this is all the work that we did to to create the paul walker digital double is an extension of the digital double and character work that we've been doing here for years this was just a, a case where we just had to do a lot of it by hand and just pay a lot of attention to the detail, just given the, the nature of, uh, you know, the performance that we were trying to create. This this seems to be, um, I mean, certainly from my opinion, the sort of the finest human work we've seen from you guys. Is that your opinion? Is this like, where does this sit in the sort of pantheon of stuff you guys have done? Yeah, I, I do think it's the best that we've been able to do because, um, it, it was just the, the project required it. You know, most of the times you're you're using digital doubles because you have to you know do a fast action sequence. You've got to do something you know that the uh, that's that's not safe for the actor. This was a case of needing to complete a performance, and there was really no other way to do it. So, uh, of the scenes that you've did, and uh, can I ask how many there sort of were? Was there how many sort of digital doubles ended up going into the film? There were about, um, I think we did about 350 shots in total, and I, about 260 of those were the, the digital double. And then the, the rest were some, you know, augmentation of uh, using existing footage. So just in finishing, is there any shot that comes to mind, either as a particularly hard one to get right, or one that you are particularly proud of the way that it came out? You know, probably um, the, the scenes where you, you see... Um, Paul and and the whole team kind of together, 
uh, you know, standing out in the bright sunlight, um, or you know, actually even the the, the scenes, uh, you know, at the end of some of those beach shots. I mean, those are just really those were nice moments where you just see, see them relating to each other. And those were very poignant because, you know, obviously that, that was, those were the moments that we wanted to create is that, 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 that connection, that feeling that there was a um, kind of a family story there that we were able to, to finish. I must admit for me, it was in, I think the garage when he's setting up the surveillance gear, I, I just mm-hmm. remember just being stopped in my tracks over that sequence. And, uh, mm-hmm. It was terrific work. So thank you so much for taking time to walk through it with us. Um, Really appreciate it. All right. Thank you, Mike. Well, thanks to Joe for joining us on this podcast and Mike for doing the interview. And, you know, you just really have to respect the the respect that they have um, put into this project and and respecting the the actor. I'm using the word respect an awful lot, but you get what I'm saying. It's, it's, you know, this was not done lightly and not done uh, casually. This was very, very carefully and... And beautiful work, and, and and really advancing that whole the whole work toward digital humans, which Mike has been following so passionately. So that'll do it for this podcast. Uh, this is the FX podcast. We also do other audio podcasts and video podcasts. So check all those out. Like I mentioned at fxguide.com/podcasts, and also check out our sister site fxphd.com and see all the options that we offer for online visual effects training. And that'll do it for this episode. For my partners, Mike Seymour and John Montgomery, I'm Jeff Huser. We'll see you on the next FX Podcast. Please let us know if you have any suggestions for stories or future podcasts. You can reach us by clicking the Contact Us link at the top of the homepage. This podcast is copyright FX Guide, LLC. Broadcast or redistribution is prohibited without the expressed written consent of FX Guide.